When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ooh, you didn't tell me you were a brainiac. Welcome in to Leather Brains, your host here, Slapdog, and I am joined today by Scotty Del Rey and Yeti. Alan is not here like he usually has been for these Monday episodes. He is in Disney World, and I feel like... Every other month he's going to Disney World, and I kind of want to be one of his kids, because it seems like they go there often, and it's the happiest place in the world, and I want to be happy. And I am happy with how things went this weekend for the NFL, but um, still not Disney World. So we do miss you, Alan. We hope you're having fun, but I am glad to have both Yeti and Scotty here today. Gentlemen, happy uh, championship on the forefront week. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the chiefs won, obviously Scotty. So you're pretty happy. I, and Yeti, you and I are out. So it is what it is, but uh, congratulations to the chiefs and you Scotty for a, uh, a crazy victory. Yeah. We never thought we'd be here this season. We, uh, I've been talking shit on I'm always an unequivocal supporter of chiefs kingdom as always, but uh, halfway through the season, obviously I was not at all anticipating this position. So um, at this point in time, we'll talk about the upcoming matchup with the Ravens, but I am just uh, just happy to be here, just enjoying this moment while we have it. Well, we're happy to have you. And Alan, he is watching right now. He is not able to be here. And he, uh, over on Twitter or X, he said, I'd love to bring slaps to Disney. I appreciate that, my friend. I would love to be there with you. But got a show to do. So today, we're going to be talking about the uh, divisional round. We're going to be talking about the the recap of this last week here for the divisional rounds. Um, the Kind of what went down, what shook down for the games, our, our thoughts, and uh, on what some of the decisions that were made in some of these games were and how... Uh, how they kind of impacted the outcome, of course. And then we're also going to talk about some some teams. We're going to talk about the future of some teams because I think this is kind of an important segue and a conversation that needs to happen with some of these teams. And what do they do? Where do they go from here? What do they need to change in order to maybe even come back to this divisional round next year? So let's kick things off here with the 49ers Packers. This game was close, fellas. Uh, 24-23, 49ers win this game over the Packers. I checked my bingo card this morning. And I did not have the Packers go into the divisional round, so shame on me. And here we are. They almost beat who I have winning it all. So good things for the Packers. But, Scotty, I will let you kind of run with this. Yeah, I mean, I think Yeti's going to get more into the details of this game. I just wanted to stop and say, watching this game was amazing. Like, I, I know there was a lot of rain, so the San Francisco offense may not have been as effective as they otherwise would have been. We saw Brock Purdy have some struggles with that. Uh, but ultimately, this game, I think, is top three best games of the season for me, just in terms of enjoyment of watching it. It was electric and so much fun. And just, just to give you an idea of how close this game actually was, when you look at the total yards by each team, Green Bay 330, San Francisco 356. 
Uh, yards per play, Green Bay, 5.3. San Francisco, 5.6. First downs, Green Bay, 20. San Francisco, 19. Total plays, Green Bay, 62. San, Fr- San Francisco, 64. Time of possession, Green Bay, 30 minutes. San Francisco, 29 minutes. It was just all the way down the line. These guys were battling all the way to the end. It was an amazing show to watch. Yeah, and you know what's kind of crazy is the the stats seem pretty close on paper, but if you watch the game, stats don't really tell the story here because the Packers, in my opinion, they should have won this game. Um, I'll talk about the Packers here a little more in a second, but I want to flip to the 49ers and mainly focus on Brock Purdy because there's been a lot of conversation about Brock Purdy this season, whether he's uh, MVP candidate or he's a he's a fluke, if you will. He's a product of Shanahan. But there's one thing you can't deny with Brock Purdy. He is a winner. The dude just gets a job done. And it doesn't matter what you want to say about him. He continues to get dubs on the field. Um, If we look at the final drive, Brock Purdy, he was him. He went six for seven. He had 47 yards passing on that final drive to get them in a position where Christian McCaffrey could break off a long run and score the go-ahead touchdown. That would ultimately win them the game. So whatever we want to say about Brock Purdy, we can't deny that this guy is a winner. Um, what do you guys think about Brock Purdy's future uh, with the 49ers? Do you want to, is he worthy of like a huge contract extension going forward? Or is it kind of just, we'll just go with his rookie deal at this point? I, I, I think that we're in unprecedented territory, right? I, we look at what Brock Purdy is. He's Mr. Irrelevant. That is what he's been touted since he has started for the 49ers. And he... I think he's kind of shaken that that title, and I think that's more than fair because he he's not irrelevant. Obviously, he's a starting quarterback for a team that is going to go and potentially play in the Super Bowl. However, you look at what the 49ers are as a team, I think you ride him out. And I don't think that's fair to Brock Purdy. I think it's really shitty to happen to Brock Purdy where he is relevant and he is a starting quarterback and potentially a franchise quarterback for the 49ers, but he's on a rookie deal. So you don't got to pay him anything. He is, all things considered, Brock Purdy is as cheap as cheap gets. He is the last pick in the NFL. He's on a very cheap deal. Brock Purdy has roommates. I don't know if anybody knows that, but Brock Purdy currently is living with other people and he has roommates and he is a starting quarterback in the NFL. While you have other quarterbacks in the NFL who've gotten paid a shit ton of money to have multiple mansions and not have roommates and they are not succeeding on the field. So that's where it really gets to be an interesting decision between the 49ers. Do the 49ers pay him some money to say, hey, we appreciate what you're doing? I lean towards no, because at the end of the day, this is a business. They are getting a lot of production out of somebody that they didn't expect to. And now the unfortunate reality for Brock Purdy in my mind is he has to go out there and continue to perform at a high level in order to continue to garner interest and therefore a contract extension and or a contract elsewhere. So that's how I look at it. It's shitty for him, but from an organizational perspective, I think that's that's what makes the most sense. Yeah, and, and I mean, we got to also bring back to reality. We're so used to talking about these tens of million dollar contracts. Brock Purdy is like 22 years old and he is making great money <laughs> for when compared to normal people. So I think he's perfectly happy. And I think that also it, it goes to show how happy he is a couple of games this season when some of these stars have been out. And that would happen a lot more often if you got to pay Brock Purdy millions and millions and millions of dollars. So I think right now he's happy to have his weapons on the field. He's happy to be getting the experience that he is. And guess what? In most of the games this season, 
season, he's playing at a very high level. Uh, and we can talk about, you know, how high of a level you need to play to be an effective quarterback in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan. But whatever that level is, he's met it most of the season. And, you know, you can you can look at this game and say, OK, you know, Brock Purdy had some struggles. He couldn't deal with the weather. Um, you know, a lot of his throws were more errant and less accurate. He wasn't reading the field as well. Uh, but ultimately, the aggregate of his experience on the field has been very, very impressive. Everybody's got off games and they still walked out of there with the win. Yeah, and you know, we're talking about quarterbacks here, so I think it's only right that we flip to the other side of the coin here and talk about the Packers with Jordan Love. Man, Jordan Love, he had a rocky start to the season. He was kind of up and down, but about halfway through the season, this kid just turned it on, and I think it's safe to say he earned himself a pretty big contract with the way that he performed in the postseason. Um, Ultimately, he did have a great season, but... In this game against the 49ers, I think it's fair to say that he cost them this win just with his decision-making. Um, he had two touchdowns to start the second half, and then he threw a pick. Uh, the Packers punted. Then they missed a field goal. And then Jordan Love threw a pick uh, to kind of end the game against the 49ers. So obviously there's a lot of positives with Jordan Love, but He is still a young quarterback, um, and he made a stupid decision just throwing across his body late, trying to play superhero like Josh Allen, Um, and it it ultimately cost him the game. But um, I want to ask you guys, where do you rank Jordan Love in the the quarterbacks uh, list now after this postseason that we've seen from him? I'd have to really go out and, you know – look at my rankings and create my rankings. Cause we really haven't done that as, is that's something that I kind of do in the off season as we get prepared for fantasy football and whatnot. But I, I will say this, I, I think he's definitely in top 10 range for me at this point. And the NFL in general, and we've had this discussion before is very much a, what have you done for me lately league? That is what the NFL is. So you have Jordan love who has now carried the Packers almost all the way through the divisionals with a victory against a very formidable team, where is Justin Herbert? Where is Joe Burrow? They haven't done anything lately, so we're not talking about them, and, and we're not seeing the film, and we're not seeing the production because, obviously, they're out of out of contention. So with all of that in mind, that though, what have you done for me lately? I think Jordan Love re- really has done a lot for this organization. He deserves his payday, and he is on his – this is the last year of his rookie contract, so the Packers are going to have to pay him, and I think that they should – what really impresses me about Jordan Love is is his poise and his his composure while he's in the pocket. Um, his, his drop back is beautiful. I think I think he really learned a lot from Aaron Rodgers there and his ability to drop back. And I I think that has made him more effective. Is his drop back looks great. His reads have for the most part been really really well. And and you know I, I don't know how to categorically put Jordan Love where to put him. I guess because. This is his first year, but he's not a rookie, but he's kind of a rookie for the NFL. So how do you view him and his decision-making? For all intents and purposes, he is a rookie, right? This is his first year starting in the NFL. I'm excited for this young man. I think he's got a cannon of an arm. And while he did cost the the game for the Packers, I do agree, that's a coaching moment. That is a learning opportunity, and you take that, and I get that you're, you're this, there's high stakes involved, right? You lose this game, you're done. But th- he, this is the first year as a quarterback. Let's give him some grace. Let's give him a little bit of uh, – let's – Let's give him a little bit of grace here. And I do think he's a great quarterback. I have him in the top 10. I would take him over somebody probably like Justin Herbert. But it's it, this is very much a what have you done for me lately league. And so maybe that lends some credence into that response. 
Yeah, I mean, just given the limited time we've seen Jordan Love on the field, he certainly, and we talked about it in our group chat separately, of are, are we, you know, putting him in the range of Justin Herbert? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. You know, whether you're going to still take Herbert or take Love in that discussion, I think that's kind of up to the individual. But he's definitely in that conversation with how well he's playing. And it's even more impressive when you consider the fact that this is the youngest offense in the league. You know, he's got some weapons in terms of athleticism, but none of these other guys have experience either. And so they're all kind of learning together and they were able to come together as a team and find that success. And Jordan Love's been the leader of that. So that's just as impressive. And then one other thing, tying it back to Brock Purdy, um, you know, Hunter, you mentioned uh, on the last drive, obviously that was a mistake. They could have, you know, they had timeouts left. They had time. They could have taken a little more slowly and, and had a chance to win the game. But he is young and he doesn't have a lot of field experience. And you can say the same thing about Brock Purdy. Someone said this on Twitter. I, th- I don't know if it was someone from our team or uh, I saw someone random, but, uh, you know, Brock Purdy got a lot of shit for how he played in that game. And it's because he was considered for an MVP earlier in the season. But, you know, he's also young. You have to give him room to make those mistakes. And both of these guys have shown they can be real competitors in this league. And, you know, Brock Purdy is actually younger than Jordan Love is, which is crazy to think. And we're over here saying, oh, Brock Purdy looked bad. Yet he's 24 years old and he's started for a season or two seasons now, I guess. Whereas Jordan Love, he's 25 years old doesn't have as many games under his belt but it's like yeah he's young it's it's no big deal so it's just funny we you know we want to play that young game but I think it really just comes down to game experience right Um, you can't really teach that in practice Um, but just one more thing about the Packers that I want to mention is uh, Matt LaFleur Um, I think this year really showed what kind of head coach he is because for the first few seasons of his career he was tied to Aaron Rodgers We all know that Aaron Rodgers kind of calls his shots with the offense. He audibles a lot and he has free reign. He can do what he wants when he wants type of thing. But you saw Matt LaFleur's offense come to light this year under Jordan Love. Um, Matt LaFleur was constantly making adjustments to put the Packers in a good position to win. And that offense is all under 25 years old for the most part, excluding, you know, Aaron Jones, who's older than shit at this point for a running back. But, um, you know, I I think we got to give a lot of credit to Matt LaFleur. This was a team that wasn't even considered to make the playoffs before the season, yet they went on a six and two run uh, in the final eight games to make the playoffs and they knocked off the two seed. They about knocked off the one seed and they probably should have knocked off the one seed and we'd have an NFC North championship game basically to win the NFC or for the NFC this, uh, this coming weekend. So, um, I think the future is bright for green Bay. Um, and I want to ask, uh, Scotty, I'll start with you. Do you think the green Bay Packers should be the favorites to win the NFC North next season? They got to be in that conversation, man. From what we've seen on the field this year, this team, the ceiling is unexplored. We don't know how effective this offense can be. And you add some pieces on defense as well. And this team could be a force. It it sucks for Bears fans. I feel so bad for these Bears fans who have had to go through so much shit, had to go through, you know, Brett Favre and then Aaron Rodgers. And then now they're looking at Jordan Love coming out and commanding this offense like a veteran for the most part. It's just got to suck. And actually on that front, um, just a quick fun stat. The Packers have now lost five playoff games with a lead in the final five minutes since the year 2000. That's the most by any team in the NFL. So not relevant for Jordan Love, but for Bears fans, you got to take all that you can get in this in this rivalry here. So you got that to hold over the Packers at least. Slops, what about you? Do you think yeah. the Packers should be the favorites next season? 
Yeah, I'm just, you know, the NFC North, you have the Packers, Vikings, Bears, and Lions, right? And it, that is a fun conference right now. And it's a really interesting conference. And it, it begs the question, are they? I mean, like, you look at some, you look at the other teams, the Vikings, what are they doing at quarterback? What What's going on with, with are you going to get a wide receiver too? Is Justin Jefferson going to stick around? What's your running back? Like, there's a lot of question marks with that Vikings team that make me really hesitate. I think the Packers have a good chance here. I, I really do. And I think it's either going to be the Packers or the Lions. Now, I think the Lions probably just given the fact that they are where they are in this championship game right now, the, the Lions next year probably are going to be favored. But it would not surprise me whatsoever if the Packers are right behind them. And I think that's probably a fair shake as far as where they should be. The Bears are the Bears. The Bears have always been the Bears. Until the Bears prove to me that they are not the Bears, they will continue to be the Bears. And and so... Well said. Yeah, it, I, I think that kind of sums it up beautifully. Um, and I'm sorry for Bears fans out there because it really does suck. And, and, you know, the Bears could be a could be a fun team. They could get spicy here, but they're going to have to make some moves. And, and they do have a lot of early draft capital to make this interesting. But at, at this current juncture, I think it's going to be Lions, Packers, and then the other two are a toss-up given what happens this offseason. Yep, I completely agree with you, uh, Slaps. I think the Lions have to be favored going into next season, but I think it's a very fine margin of who's one and who's two because I think uh, the Packers could very well knock off the Lions next year, but who knows? You know, There's going to be a lot of changes this offseason. Yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of signings, a lot of drafting or draft picks. You know, We'll, we'll revisit this discussion in the offseason. Uh, but one more thing about this game, and I want to go back to the 49ers for a second. Um, before the playoffs started, the 49ers were kind of invincible. Um, do you guys think that this team is as scary now that we've seen what the Packers did against them last weekend? I honestly don't hold that much weight with it. You know, we, we, everybody talks about how, you know, your teams that have the buy are often rusty. Um, and I think that's probably true to a certain degree. And then you also have to deal with the weather factor. We've seen what the 49ers can do to anyone that they play throughout this season. Um, you know, obviously coming out in the playoffs and not dominating like maybe they should have is one thing. But again, this Packers team is nothing to sneeze at. So I, I'm I'm still picking the 49ers as my favorite to win it all. I think they can be the most dominant team in football. Uh, and I think we're probably going to see that this upcoming week. My concern is Debo Samuel. I mean, is Debo Samuel going to be going to be playing? He he got injured in this game. I want to say it was a shoulder injury, mm. um, and then did not return for the remainder of the game. That happened pretty early on, and I think that that offense took a couple steps back without him. And I don't know if that was something that Kyle Shanahan maybe had prepared for or not. I'm not sure, but it kind of looked like it when we were watching that game. It looked like the offense started to struggle there with his departure. So that's going to be something to watch as we go into this championship week is, is Debo Samuel going to be available or not? Because I think well, that, that could change things a little bit. Yeah, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but even on that point, even if he is available, the way that Debo Samuel plays the game is very physical, and those shoulder injuries can be real serious in that regard. You know, if Debo Samuel is afraid of contact because he's injured, even if he's on the field, he's not going to look like the same player. So that's a great point. Let's flip the, let's flip things over and talk about this uh, this stomping that was the Ravens Texans game. Ravens win this one thirty four to ten, and the Ravens are hosting their first championship game since 1971 congratulations to the ravens uh and, and lamar jackson let's let's give him his flowers yetis yeah man so before the season um i had talked a lot about how lamar jackson i think he's going to be a stud under todd munkin's offense so i want to give myself a pat on the back because he proved me right so 
good job, Yeti. Good job, Yeti. But now it's time to, you know, let's give Lamar Jackson all the freaking bouquets, you know, like The Bachelor. We're just going to hand out roses to Lamar Jackson left and right. He's kind a of, lot of he's people. He's a good looking dude. Uh, but he's a damn good football player. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that at all. <laughs> but it's it's funny because before the season, a lot of people had wrote off Lamar Jackson. Um, rightfully so, right? He had a two two seasons back to back of with injuries. He missed a lot of time, and I had almost dubbed him the Christian McCaffrey of the quarterback position just with how much time he had missed. So. I, you know, I think you can make a lot of that, uh, the missed time for um, him holding out for a contract. Um, and that's another thing. This past offseason, he was having issues with his contract. He was his own agent in that whole contract process. But yet here he is, man. He came out this season. He claimed the one seed with the Ravens and he had another MVP season basically with the Ravens. Um, and he has shown how important he is to this team's uh, success, which is crazy considering all the drama that he had this offseason with this contract. So I think it, it's time to look at Lamar Jackson as one of those elite quarterbacks in the league. Um, so I want to get your guys' thoughts on Lamar Jackson. Go ahead, Scotty. Well, I think obviously Lamar Jackson's a great player. I think, you know, Outside of the injury concerns, he's always demonstrated that he has potential to be a great player, obviously at winning MVPs in the past. But the big difference on this Ravens team is not only Munkin, but is the receiving weapons. And he hasn't really had that for most of his career, which means he's had to put his body in much more jeopardy because the entire offense revolves around his legs. And this season, we're starting to see, you know, his numbers don't jump off the page at you, but if you watch the games, you see that he's got command of an offense with actual weapons on the outside that he's capable of getting the balls to. And that's one of the biggest criticisms of Lamar Jackson before. Obviously, everyone called him a running back. People didn't think he was a quarterback. And that was wasn't his fault as we've seen now but it's the fault of the offensive scheme and you didn't have players on the outside that were capable of garnering the respect that people like Zay Flowers do people like Mark Andrews do which he's probably going to come back this week um, so Lamar Jackson is is the man and now having weapons to actually throw the ball to has really rounded him out as a player he's been nothing but impressive and even though I personally would give the MVP to CMC Lamar Jackson is obviously very well deserving of it. And, you know, Scotty, you had mentioned a running back. Uh, Lamar Jackson's a running back. Um, you know, that's how we used to refer to Lamar Jackson is he's a quarter, he's a running back playing the quarterback position. But if you look at his stats this season compared to some of the other elite quarterbacks in the league, Lamar Jackson ranks am amongst the top quarterbacks in the league. In fact, uh, when he's under pressure in the pocket, he ranks in the top 10 for completion percentage. And he's only thrown one pick while he's under pressure this year. Um, and on top of that, he graded out as a top five passer, according to pro football focus for for whatever that's worth. Right. But that's the highest finish that he's had in his career. So he's evolved from this running back playing quarterback into an elite pocket passer. That is it's he's not just a one dimensional guy anymore. He's a rounded out quarterback. That's always been my my biggest criticism of Lamar Jackson, and I, I have said this for years, is I want to see him throw the ball. I want to see him throw the ball, and I want to see him throw the ball. And historically, we see it a little bit, but, you know, he's been notoriously that running back quarterback that you mentioned, Yeti. 
I I think there's a couple things at play here that really stand out to me. First and foremost, the wide receiver core of the Ravens. You know, Scotty had mentioned Zay Flowers. I think this this is indicative of Lamar Jackson's ability without having talent around him. And so maybe that has forced him to run the ball more. We're starting to see him throw the ball more this year, and it's because he does have that talent around him to be able to catch a damn ball, run a good route. Like the the other intricacies of playing the quarterback position are, are you surrounded by good people, right? And it's starting to show, okay, he can do it. You know, he can throw the ball while also still being a dual threat quarterback. I think this is an indication for the Ravens that they need to build a great supporting cast around Lamar Jackson and stop half-assing your wide receiver room because that is what it has been the last few years. Rashad Bateman, he was a bust draft. You traded away Hollywood Brown, who was his wide receiver one. That left him with Mark Andrews, right? And Mark Andrews is a great tight end. Mark Andrews is a top five tight end in the league right now, but that's why they struggled last year alongside Lamar Jackson's injuries, of course. So they draft, say, Flowers. They go out and they get OBJ, who's kind of a washed-up wide receiver at this point. You still have Rashad Bateman around. So build around him go get a go get a big name wide receiver in free agency if you can afford to do that because you get Lamar Jackson the help that he needs he has proven that he can do more than just run the ball and th- and that's really what I I took away from this year in general with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson yeah and that's it's an investment in his health too because when you have to center the entire offense around Lamar running the ball that's when he gets injured so being able to give him that outlet option to actually throw the ball without putting himself in jeopardy as often as sometimes he likes to is is what's going to keep him on the field and the Ravens aren't going to win without Lamar Jackson on the field and I think this season can kind of be a learning experience for teams like Arizona and Chicago who both have running quarterbacks with I'm not going to say lackluster offensive weapons, but when you only have DJ Moore as a your, you know, that's a really only threat for Chicago. And then Cardinals, Kyler Murray has who? Trey McBride. He, like he's a good tight end. Don't get me wrong, but like there's no, there's not a supporting cast. He has a guy. That's it. Same situation with Justin Fields. Here's here's how I look at the mobile quarterbacks, and I I don't know if this is this might I might be ahead of my time here. I think all quarterbacks, or not all quarterbacks, but the good quarterbacks have the dual threat ability, right? Because it, it makes them so much harder to cover and scheme for from a defensive perspective. But you cannot rely on them as a runner. You, we have seen what happens when you rely on these quarterbacks as, as a runner, and it, it doesn't end well. Your quarterbacks get hurt, and then your whole team is screwed. So while it's nice to have in your pocket, like Josh Allen last night, you know, smashing through the goal line for a touchdown, it's great that he can do that. You don't want him to do that consistently. Jalen Hurts in the tush push. You, while it is a good tool to have in your tool belt, you don't want to rely on that. And, and in some ways, I think the Eagles did, especially this year. You don't want to have to rely on that because you don't want to get your quarterback injured. You need a good mobile quarterback to stretch the defense, but you need to build around those mobile quarterbacks and give them weapons so they they aren't one-dimensional and they have options. And I think that's that's kind of the trend for these dual-threat guys. Yeah, and I, I think the best example of what you're talking about is the Kansas City Chiefs. You have maybe the best quarterback of all time who is great at throwing the ball, he's great at keeping plays alive, and this offense struggled so much this season because they don't have weapons. So you have to invest in those pass catchers, you have to be able to develop pass catchers, and the quarterback does bear some responsibility for elevating maybe what would be lackluster pass catchers into playmakers. But ultimately, the front office has got to help out these guys. Lamar Jackson can't do it on his own. And we've seen now with the addition of some weapons like Zay Flowers, like OBJ, that they're capable of playing really high level football and they are going to be quite the team to contend with. 
Yeah. And I think we need to turn it back to the game here for just a second. Um, the car or the, I was going to say the Cardinals. God, I wish the Cardinals were in the playoffs. For That'd, be cool. That'd be cool. That'd be really buddy. cool. That's all right. Yeah. So the, the other bird, the Ravens, uh, they were tied with the Texans 10 to 10 at halftime. And Lamar Jackson, after the game, he came out and said that he had yelled at the locker room. He couldn't repeat what he had said because there was a lot of, you know, he cussed a lot in there. I'm summarizing, but um, he really took it upon himself to be like, hey, this isn't who we are. We need to go out and play like we know how to play. And sure enough, Lamar Jackson looked like the MVP that he's looked like all season. In the second half, he went 14 for 16, 100 passing yards for one touchdown. While it's not a crazy stat line, he didn't throw any picks. And he was very effective and efficient with his throws. Um, but he also added five rushes for 50 rushing yards and two touchdown passes. Um, so this offense really turned a corner in the second half. And I think that was had a lot to do with Lamar Jackson's efficiency. Um, yeah. Scotty, go ahead. Uh, it, it's a great sign for the Ravens, you know, because Lamar Jackson, in addition to the criticisms of him being, you know, a run first kind of quarterback, it, the question of his maturity and his ability to articulate to his team. And this Ravens team, as talented as they are, it's a very, very young team on both sides of the ball. They don't have a ton of veterans there. And Lamar Jackson stepping into that leadership role. And, you know, from what I got from his press conference was essentially he couldn't say it because obviously it was a tough competitive matchup, but he said, you know, what are we doing here? You know, this, this is, we should be dominating this team. What are we doing here? We need to get our shit together. And they came out in the second half and they looked like a completely different offensive unit. So credit to him. And it shows maturity as a leader, in addition to his playmaking ability, that has got to be a great sign for Ravens fans. Yeah. And while we're giving our flowers to Lamar Jackson, I think we have to turn and look at the defense for Baltimore because my God, CJ, CJ Shroud came into this game and he looked unstoppable, right? He put up, what, uh, 45 points on the Browns last week. And this offense looked like it had been rolling for the past few weeks. But the Ravens defense, they held this red-hot Texans offense without a touchdown on 10 possessions. The Texans only scored a field goal, and then they had um, a kick return or a punt return for a touchdown. So this game might have looked even worse if it weren't for that punt return. But kudos to this defense. Um, they're going to be a force no matter who goes up against them. And I wish the Chiefs luck this week. Um, but I want to I want to slaps. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you guys think I would look good with a mustache? Yes. The answer is yes. I don't know. I'm looking at myself in the in the reflection here. I don't know if I'd look good with a mustache. I hey, guarantee well, you, you would. We'll stew on it. Sorry, Yeti. <laughs> it's just something I needed to get out. Asking the important questions. Yeah. 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 Well, and on, on that point, Yeti, about the Chiefs, I know we're going to talk about that game, but as a Chiefs fan, when I looked at this Ravens team, obviously the offense is terrifying. Lamar Jackson can, can move the ball on anybody, it seems like. But this defensive unit is the scariest in the league. I mean, they are... Every single player is out hunting every single play. And you just saw that the the level of adrenaline that they're playing with on every down. And that's that as a Chiefs fan is what makes me very nervous. We saw the Chiefs the last couple of weeks put an offense together that actually looked more like them from last season. And if there's one team right now that could completely destroy that, I think it's the Ravens. Yeah, and I think we need to take a minute and talk about the Texans for just a second because they are a young, exciting team, very much like the Green Bay Packers. Um, and I want to ask you guys, what do you think the Texans need to do in the offseason to take the next step forward? Clock's ticking, baby. 
I mean, that's, that, that, I, that is the truth. The clock is ticking now for this Texans team. Why, you ask? Because the, the Texans have a rookie contract with arguably one of the best, youngest quarterback talents the NFL has ever seen. You need to do what you can before you have to pay this man a hefty contract, and you need to go out there and you need to get as much support for him as you possibly can right now. That I, it, that I That's how I look at this. C.J. Stroud is incredible. C.J. Stroud is everything that nobody thought he would be. I, and that sounds like I, I fumbled my words. I want you to think about that for a second because nobody had expectations for C.J. Stroud. Nobody had expectations for this Texans team. D'Amico Ryan, in his first year as a head coach, took a rookie quarterback this far. And and they look really good. And, and the icing on top, C.J. Stroud didn't even have his wide receiver one. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of argument that Nico Collins is that wide receiver one. I think it's Tank Dell. And that's probably a 1A, 1B, and we're having that conversation. But Tank Dell has been a formidable tool for C.J. Stroud all season. He has not had him in this postseason and is still finding ways to get it done. I'm very impressed with this team. I'm very impressed with C.J. Stroud. I think that that organization is in really great hands. You have to be excited as a Texans fan. And you just even if you're not a Texans fan and you're a fan of the NFL, that team has to just be a really exciting team because that's what they are right now. I'm excited for the future of that team, and I think that it is a bright future for them. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The Texans are the real deal. Um, being able to do what they did with so many young guys, including obviously C.J. Stroud, you know, my biggest takeaway for them going into next season is just focus on C.J. Stroud's development. Because if this guy is, you know, continues on the track that he started on with this season, he could be the next Patrick Mahomes that is capable of elevating an offense no matter the weapons around him. And, you know, there's no real reason to doubt that at this point in time. So you got to make him take that next step. And once you do that, everything else is ancillary. And I think a way that they can help Shroud develop is by developing a run game even more. And I yeah. think this offseason, they need to look at whether it's a free agent running back or get somebody in the draft. But they need somebody who can run between the tackles, establish a run early and often, and get some of that pressure off of Shroud, and then let him do his thing when the Texans really need him. Um, or else that pressure can really, it can really make a quarterback or it can hurt a quarterback. And going big... into his second season, there's going to be some high expectations for Shroud. I agree with you, and I, I think that the running game is should be a focus. I think Devin Singletary has worked, and I think uh, I think that that is a position they need to really look at and try and find some upgrade there. There's some big name running backs that are free agents this offseason: Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Zach Moss. If you really want to throw him in there, he was an early. Uh, early of the year killer for a lot of people. So there's there's a lot of free agents running back this offseason. Whether they look there or they try and get somebody in the draft, I think it should be a focal point for that Texans team. Yep. All right. And I'll stop talking for a little bit, and you guys will uh, have some fun. Yeah, I don't know if fun is exactly the word that I would use, but let's talk it's about the Lions. Fun. I don't think it's going to be that fun. Lions are going to the NFC Championship for the second time in franchise history, the first time since 1991 after they beat the Buccaneers 31-23. to Goddamn. The Lions did it. And, and more importantly, not more importantly, but ancillary is, uh, is Dan Campbell, of course. But before we talk about Dan Campbell, I do want to talk about Jared Goff for just a moment because what a historic comeback for him. The man who was traded away from the Rams because he wasn't what the Rams needed, right? Starts out rocky with the Lions the last two seasons. It has been not a good start for Jared Goff. There's some questions. Is Jared Goff the guy here? Is Jared Goff the future for this Lions organization? 
comes in this year. The Lions are on fire. They meet the Rams, right, in the playoffs. So it's it's a homecoming of sorts because he it's Matt Stafford who they, the Rams purchased from the Lions. So Jared Goff's the throwaway. And then Jared Goff comes in and he beats him, right? Still one of the coolest storylines of the whole season. It is. I, I honestly, I, I he dethrones the Rams and Matt Stafford, proving, and it was almost like an fu. And and Jared Goff didn't say any of that. That's just me talking. But what a cool freaking way to do it, right? You come in, you beat them, you say should have kept me, right? And I don't think there's any hard feelings because the, you know the Rams got theirs, so they got their Super Bowl ring. I think they're pretty happy with it. And Jared Goff could very well be on that same path here. Uh, given these next two games, we'll see what happens. So I, I was pretty happy for him. I mean, he went three and 13 his first year with the lions and it was, it was a rocky start. So what a great way to go. Now let's talk about Dan Campbell. We want to talk about Lamar Jackson, giving him his flowers. What about Dan Campbell? He's been bashed, bruised, battered and beaten down by NFL media talking heads. Fans of other teams have talked shit on him. And I think, God, I think even people here in this uh, in this room have talked a lot of shit on Dan Campbell, and I get it, right? He he has gone four and nineteen in his one. It was a rocky start for him, but he has done something special. He gets clocked for showing too much emotion or looking like a fool during his opening press conference as a head coach. Those are things that are currently being touted around in the media right now. Dan Campbell held up his end of the bargain. Dan Campbell has held up his end of the bargain this entire time. He has said we are going to be a team that will claw, fight, and bite your kneecaps all the way to success, and that is continuously what this Lions team has done. This is only the second time, like I mentioned, in in the NFL history that, that the Lions have made it this far, and Dan Campbell, I do firmly believe, is part of that difference. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly part of it. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about some stuff you're not going to hear anywhere else. This is exclusive content and the reason it's exclusive is not because i'm some genius because i assure you that i'm not and and slapdog will attest to that um but it's because because of the success that the lions are having nobody is looking critically at all at dan campbell everybody is afraid to talk about i know that i and i'm just gonna i'm gonna let you talk scotty i want you to you to let me know when i'm able to interject when i'm done okay (laughs) you just let me know when you're done then all right um, but again, this is information you're not going to hear anywhere else. And I know that because when I watch the lions and I, I've, I've watched them all season as everybody has, because they've been very impressive and you see some certain things on the field and I'm a lazy guy. So when I come in and I want to bring up that information, I cannot find anything critical about Dan Campbell. Hunter says he's been battered and bruised and slapped around by the media. Uh, no, he's the polar opposite of that. He's worshipped by everybody. And I understand from the initial press conference, yes, okay, he was beaten up a little bit for that, and rightfully so, because he made himself sound like a total moron and then won three games that season. So it would be ridiculous if he didn't get criticized for that. So to me, that's totally fair. I want to talk to you about some facts about Dan Campbell. So first and foremost, prior to having four picks in the first two rounds of the 2023 draft, Dan Campbell went 12-21 and as a head coach. And again, he saw media scrutiny after that first press conference, but since then, every single person on earth, all these media talking heads and you know everyone besides the folks who hate the Detroit Lions because of rivalries are bending over backwards to suck this guy off every chance that they get. They, they, that's all that they want to do all day long. Um, by the way, one of those first four picks was Jameer Gibbs, who he misused for the first half of this season. This Lions run game could have been twice as dynamic in the first 
uh, you know, half of the season. And instead, they kept him on the sidelines the vast majority of the time, which is crazy to me. Luckily, they came around to that idea and started using him well. Um, now, I just want to talk about some of the decisions that Dan Campbell's made. And we've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes, but I want to get a little bit into more detail because Dan Campbell cost the Lions the number one seed this season. He's cost them several games with stupid play calling this season. So number one, week two versus Seattle, Dan Campbell elects to go for it on fourth down two separate times. Rather than taking points and kicking field goals, they lose that game by three points. Week 12 versus Green Bay. First, Dan Campbell doesn't go for it on fourth down. It was fourth and two at midfield. They're losing by 14 points in the first half. They don't go for it and instead punt it away. Then he decides, oh, I wasn't aggressive. I tell everyone I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to go for it on my own 23-yard line. I'm going to run a fake punt. That decision cost them that game. Week 14 versus Chicago. He passes up on a 52-yard field goal when down by 10 in the first half. He instead chooses to go for it on fourth and 10. Of course, they don't get it. Excuse me. Chicago, obviously great field position. They develop an insurmountable lead. They lose that game by 15 points. Week 17 versus Dallas. Everyone wants to talk about the end of that game and the refs. Prior to that, he goes for it on fourth and four. Rather than taking a chip shot field goal and taking those points, they lose that game by one point. By the way, there are 10 more examples of this throughout the season. I went through every single one of his fourth down, fourth down decisions because nobody else in the media wants to do that. Nobody wants to offer any criticism of this guy at all. There were 10 more stupid, ridiculous, immature decisions that he made. They just happened to win those games. That's the story of Dan Campbell. This is a team that is so talented that they are overcoming the stupidity on the field of Dan Campbell. And they've done that all season long. They are winning in spite of Dan Campbell and his decisions, not because of them. He's the beneficiary of this great front office that has completely restructured this team, and they're winning in spite of him, not because of him. This is something, what I'm saying right now, in three years, you're going to hear people on ESPN talking about this. Because once this Lions team isn't so elite on the roster, once they have to go through some adversity, once they start losing some of the, some players to injuries or whatever, and Dan Campbell's decisions are going to keep them out of the playoffs or keep them from advancing in the playoffs, and people are going to say, what the fuck is this guy doing? Last point to make, and then it's all you, Slapdog. I think Dan Campbell would have thrown you off the train. And the, re the reason I say that, more in jest than anything, first of all, this train metaphor, like it's just on par for Dan Campbell being an immature, petulant D-bag. Oh, if you're not with us, you're against us. If you didn't unequivocally support me unquestioningly, then you can't be a fan of the Lions. Grow the fuck up. I mean, this guy is a child. But again, Hunter, you chose the Rams over the Lions. You said this team is not a Super Bowl team repeatedly on this podcast, which by the way, I agree with you. I think you're looking at this team objectively and you're saying, hey, they have some real deficiencies just like every team does. And you're pointing that out and saying, oh, there's reason to doubt. I think that's reasonable. I have said that this team is as capable of going to a Super Bowl as any team in the league just by the makeup of the NFL. But Dan Campbell doesn't accept that as an answer. If you doubt the Lions, if you doubt them at all, even though two years ago they won three games, oh, now you're not allowed to be a fan. To me, it's just crazy. And obviously Dan Campbell has done a lot of good things. Obviously the players support him, but it's easy to support your head coach when things are going really good. Once the players come into the locker room and they come off a tough loss because Dan Campbell made a stupid decision and now they're out of the playoffs, I think 
everything turns, everything besides Detroit Lions fans, which are going to look at him like a god forever, people are going to start to realize that these decisions can't be fixed unless we start criticizing him fairly. And he's not interested in that, obviously. Can I, am I good to talk now? You're drinking water. I don't know if you're not in your head. Yes. Okay. So here's the problem with your argument. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. You want to sit here and criticize him for every single thing that he has done and every single ridiculous decision he's made. At the end of the day, he has done something that no other head coach for the Lions has been able to do in the last 33 years, period. So With the best roster that the Lions have had in 33 years. Okay. I mean, you can make that argument. We could sit there and we could compare rosters if you'd really like, but at the you end of the day... To. The records do it. No, the records, they don't justly account for rosters they don't they don't you can look at the chiefs roster and the chiefs roster this year is terrible and they're about to go all the way that doesn't mean the roster is any better than their head coaching so my argument with this is it doesn't matter what dan campbell has done in the past because right now they're in the nfc championship so you can criticize all those decisions that he has made in the past rightly so but maybe don't do it before they either win and go to the super bowl or lose in the nfc championship if you want to have this argument again next week Okay, let's have this argument again next week. And and that's probably a fair thing to do. But you're sitting here criticizing a man who has taken the Lions to the NFC Championship for the first time in 33 years. Do you not think he played a part in the the rebuilding of this team when they went 3 and 13, 3 and 14, whatever their 3 and whatever record it was? Do you not think he played a part in that? Do you not think he played a part in Jameer Gibbs? potentially sitting on the sidelines to maybe have him healthy, teach him the NFL, and, and get them to the point where they're you at You have now. to ignore his track record with running backs for the last two seasons to think that. He very, I, cl he very clearly does not have the coaching acumen on par with other X's and O's coaches, and that's fine. Like you said, they're winning. So everything is easy when you're winning. Eventually, they're not going to be winning anymore, and all of the eyes are going to be trained on these decisions. And I want the Lions to be good. I like good football. They're not going to fix these issues if you're not willing to point them out. And right now, nobody's willing to do that. I, I think nobody's willing to do it because there's, they're still in it. They're still doing it. If you want to have this conversation, in the, I think you're too early. Like, and that's, that's my God's honest truth. I think the criticisms are fair, but I think that you also have this, this hatred for Dan Campbell and you call him a crybaby and a wuss, but at the end of the day, he's doing it. And he's, he has got that team to buy in and they are all bought in, and it is indicative of their success. Yeah, so You're missing the point, though, because, yeah, obviously they're doing it. We're all seeing it. They're doing it in spite of Dan Campbell, and we're no, going to see that over the next few years. because of Dan Campbell. Yeah. You remove the the leadership that he has provided there. I don't think take, – take Bruce Arians, and you put him on this team. Lions don't do it. Take – Take Adam Gase. You put him in there, they don't do it. Take Brandon Staley. Take Arthur Smith. There are certain people that command respect, and Dan Campbell has for this team. He's also not only commanded the respect of his players, he was one of those players. He was on a team that went 0-16 for the Lions, and he has turned this franchise around. Dan Campbell is the reason they're succeeding. You plug, him, you plug in another head coach in there, they don't succeed period. Because sometimes it's not the play calling, it's the effort that your players put in, play in and play out, and I think that is also indicative of their success. Is the play calling need to be improved? Absolutely. I could not agree with you more there. But do not sit here and tell me that Dan Campbell is the reason that the Lions are going to fail. Because he's, he's the, the reason, reason they lost he, four games this season. And it should have been more. And where are they? So I'm going to I'm gonna play the middleman here for a second. Because <clears throat> we can have this debate all night. 
if we want to say Dan Campbell made this team good or not, whether it was a general or the front office that made this roster great, we can go back and forth. We can do that with literally any team in the NFL. But one thing I want to discuss is with Dan Campbell, I hear all of Scotty's points. I get it. I You can hate the guy. I get it. But with his risky decisions, it's not like this is the first time in the NFL we've seen something like Dan Campbell. Look at Ron Rivera. When he was with the Carolina Panthers in 2013 and 2014, he earned that nickname Riverboat Ron because he made risky decisions and his team won. Did he fall off a cliff after a couple of years of success? Yes, he, he did, which, you know, to your point, that can happen, but there's circumstances. The NFL is a constantly changing league. It's never for long or not for long. That's what the NFL stands for. Um, but we can also look at Andy Reid when he was with the Philadelphia Eagles. When he was with the Eagles, he would get torn up and down by the media for his decision making, for his play uh management or time management skills um and andy reed he figured it out too so it's not to say that dan campbell over the course of his tenure with detroit can't figure it out that, I that's think- the perfect example though. you see the the generational the change of andy reed over the course of his career to become what he is now is because of that scrutiny Dan Campbell's not getting scrutiny. He's not getting scrutiny from anybody. And you get yelled at if you scrutinize him at all. And it's it's crazy to me because you can say, oh, risky play calls are one thing. The He went for four, went for it on fourth down 40 times this season. The vast majority of those I thought were perfectly acceptable. They were risks, but they were acceptable given the circumstances, given the field position, uh, given the conditions of the weather. You know, there are a million reasons why a fourth down call can be acceptable. And I think the vast majority were 14 of those 40 were boneheaded or stupid play calls. And you don't get better as a coach if you make stupid, unacceptable play calls, four of which cost them games this season, cost them the number one seed. And nobody talks about it. So all I'm doing, Lions fans, you can hate me all you want to because I know I'm the only person on earth saying what I'm saying. You have to be willing to criticize him for this, or it's not going to change. He's not going to elevate to Andy Reid. Instead, he's going to become Riverboat Ron. I think you just don't like Dan Campbell. I, th- I th- I'm, that's where I'm going to conclude this. I think you don't like Dan Campbell, and you take the opportunities to try. I mean, you went and did the homework that nobody else has done because you don't like Dan Campbell. I, you have been a hater of Dan Campbell since the beginning. And you don't like the guy. So I think that's what I think the truth is. And I think you want reasons to hate him and you're looking for reasons to hate him, which is you fine. Can think that, you can think that all you want to, but I just provided you with about 15 minutes of explanation as to why he should be criticized. And those I think, are, re- I think, those I are think real. Every NFL coach can get, there deserves criticism from every NFL coach. And if I don't have the time or the care really to go look up Andy Reid's mistakes that he made this year, but I guarantee you they're there. And that's that's a part of the NFL. That is a part of it. Yes, I understand they're egregious. They are costing him them games. I don't think Lions fans care. I don't care because at the end of the day, they're sitting here in the NFC Championship. So learn from it. That's fine. But you just hate the guy. That That's really what it comes down to. You've called him a crybaby. You've called him a, an emotional, I forget the term that you use, but you don't like him, which that's really what I want you to admit is you don't like Dan Campbell because I think that's the truth and then we can move on. Uh, I, it's, I don't know Dan Campbell. I've never talked to him. I think the way that he expresses himself is perfectly acceptable when they're winning games. And eventually that's going to come to an end and he's going to look like a lunatic. And that's just the way it goes. Even just on an, we'll, we'll move on from this in a second because nobody wants to listen to this for any longer. But 
one thing that's that stood out to me is watching his he was he was again just praised in the media for his post game talk to the team after they won this game where he cried again as always and he goes on and talks about how you guys deserve this the city deserves this blah 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 he's talking as if they won a super bowl and you haven't won a super bowl dan i understand i i'm it doesn't fall off you know it, it, i understand the historic nature of the season but that's the kind of leadership and it ties directly in with his play calling on the field. His emotion gets in the way of reason. And you compare that to someone like Patrick Mahomes, who's po- post game, you know, nobody expects the Let's Chiefs to be in here. Let's bring in the shiny, this, the shiny Chiefs toy mm-hmm. here. Go ahead. Just listen. Nobody expects the Chiefs to be here either. And Patrick Mahomes walks into the pre- or walks into the locker room and says, they asked for it. We brought it. Let's move on to next week. The clip lasted three seconds. That's a leader. That's someone who's got experience in winning games on the field. And Dan Campbell, again, is winning games. I think that they're winning games because of the roster compilation and because they're talented enough to overcome the stupid decisions in most of their games, not all of them. And it's not going to change unless we're willing to talk about it. I, I, I'm i willing to talk about it when the season's over and we can look back and either call Dan Campbell a Super Bowl champion or they came short in the NFC Championship. I don't think it needs to happen right now. I think you're too early, and I also just think you don't like Dan Campbell, and you doing that this early is indicative of that. I don't think you like Dan Campbell, and I just want to hear you say the words because you don't. I I don't like what I've seen from Dan Campbell. That's true. I don't know Dan Campbell as a person. I'm sure he's a great guy. That's a cop-out. Let's go to Baker Mayfield, a quarterback that also has had some struggles alongside Scotty and I's new uh, emotional relationship that is slightly torn or tarnished now. Uh, Baker Mayfield has also gone through a hell of a lot with the NFL and has come out on the other side, to be honest with you. He uh, he was kind of on the decline. He was with the Browns. He got traded to the Panthers. The Panthers then said they don't want him. The Panthers at one point had Baker Mayfield playing defensive line for a scout team, and then they cut him. And then he went over to the Rams. He played for the Rams for a little bit, won them a really crazy game, and then really didn't do anything else. Baker Mayfield, the 101 back in uh, 2017, I want to say, uh, was really on his way out of the league and now has found a new home with the Buccaneers. I'm really impressed with Baker Mayfield. He is somebody that I didn't, once again, checking my bingo card, did not have Baker Mayfield uh, taking the Bucks this far. And I, I just want to highlight this. At the very beginning of the season, we were sitting here having conversations of, is Kyle Trask going to be the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers or is it Baker Mayfield? I think it very evidently is Baker Mayfield. So my question to both of you is, while Baker Mayfield cost the Buccaneers this game, there was 135 left, he threw a terrible interception, it cost him the game, Baker got them this far. Is Baker Mayfield going to have another opportunity with the Buccaneers, and should he? Yeti, you haven't talked in a while, we'll start with you. So, yeah, I was going to say my vocal cords are kind of dry over here because I haven't talked for a minute. <laughs> um, I think uh, Baker Mayfield, he's hes an imperfect quarterback. He's an imperfect person, uh, imperfect player, I should say, not person. I don't know him as a person. He's, prob- he's probably a good guy, I, I would think. But um, I, I, I think you have to bring back Baker Mayfield just about, you know, just over what he's done this season. We came into the season thinking Tampa Bay was going to win, what, four or five games? Vegas probably thought the same exact thing. But here we are. The the Buccaneers were one game away from being in the NFC Championship. They had chances to beat Detroit in this game. Um, And I I think you have to bring back Baker Mayfield. What his contract looks like, 
I don't know, but if Geno Smith can get $25 million and call it good, I think Baker Mayfield would be willing to get about the same in Florida where there's no taxes, right? He's not going to get taxed on that 25 mil. Uh, even if it's in the ballpark at 35 mil, that would put him at outside of the top 15 paid highest paid uh, quarterback. So I think they can come to some, come to some kind of agreement. I'm more curious what they do with Mike Evans, who is also at mm-hmm. the end of his contract, because I think they need to bring back both of these guys if they want to have success next season. Yeah, that's 100% true. And Baker Mayfield even said as much, you know, he, he said he wants to stay in Tampa, but he wants Mike Evans there too. And it's it's hard to blame the guy. But, you know, Baker Mayfield has been awesome this year in a lot of ways. And he's been what the Bucks needed in a lot of ways. Think of the shoes that he had to fill coming in after maybe the greatest quarterback of all time. Tom Brady left the building uh, and they made it back to the playoffs. They They had a great season and there's a lot to look forward to. Obviously, they have some aging assets on this team. Their their window is is very very short. And with that in mind, it's not like they have enough time to uh, you know go draft a, a quarterback in the middle rounds of the draft and then develop him over time. So in the meantime, Baker Mayfield is certainly the guy. So I see them signing him to a middle range contract in terms of cost and time frame and letting him run with it as long as he can. Yeah, sorry, Sops. One more thing I want to say about this. This is basically the same roster that Tom Brady had last year, and that's not an indictment on Tom Brady. It's just a, it goes to show you what this roster, they believed in Baker Mayfield to lead them to the playoffs. They believed in Todd Bowles to get the job done. So I think from a, from a coaching standpoint, the right coaches are there. They just have to retain the core that's there and keep on building. Um, we saw Trey uh, Palmer out of Nebraska, the rookie. He kind of exploded onto the scene late in the season because of his speed. And I think they keep on developing him. They keep Mike Evans. They keep Rashad White. They keep Baker Mayfield. I don't see why this team can't win the NFC South. That is current, you know, the way the NFC South looks today. I think Mike Evans leaves. I think he should leave. I think if he wants to go win a Super Bowl, he needs to leave. And then I sl- I have some concerns about this team and, and their future. Um, they're kind of an aged roster. They have some sprinkles of youth in there, but for the most part, they are an aging roster with a quarterback situation that by the time they're going to be able to have a decent rebuild, you're going to age out of Baker Mayfield So, and contract-wise as well. Um, I, I do think Baker played a great year. I think he has earned himself a short-term contract, but I think that uh, I don't see Mike Evans coming back. I really don't. Mike Evans wants a ring. I think his talent level, he's not got a lot of good years left, and he certainly, look, he certainly looked great this year, but I think that's probably also weighing on his mind. He's going to want to go to a competitor and try and win is, is where I land. You know, it's, it's either do you want to get paid a shit ton of money and go play for a terrible team, or do you want to take a discount and you go get a ring? And and I think Mike Evans wants a ring, um, so I don't see him staying with the Bucks, and I think that's going to really negatively impact Baker Mayfield going into next season. Well, let me ask you this question. If if Mike Evans does stay, I think we can probably all agree that Baker Mayfield is going to be a big part of that decision. His His leadership of convincing him, hey, we can really do this here, and we can make a legitimate run if you stick around. So if that's the case and Mike Evans does stay, knowing that Baker Mayfield was able to have that impact on him and the rest of the team, at that point in time, where do you see this Bucks team finishing? I think the division is certainly in 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 grasp but as far as an actual playoff team going into next season is that something that's realistic for the organization at this point 
I think the offense is one thing and the defense is another because if you look at their key free agents on defense, they are potentially losing four or five starters on that defense, which is a big number. That's about half of the starting defense, which obviously that's an issue. If they can somehow sign everybody back, um, they do have the cap space to do so. They're at 46 mil under right now, the cap, so they have enough money to go around, and the cap isn't real. We all know that. Um, As the NFC South stands right now, I don't see why they can't win the conference again. I'm not saying they're going to be a... You know, an elite NFC South or an elite NFC team in general that could win the Super Bowl, but I don't see why they couldn't be a playoff team. I think, given that division, I think that it's if you can convince them, if you can convince Mike Evans to come back, <laughs> I think it's it's potentially it's not hard, right? They're in a they're in um, a cookie a cookie league division over there, so it's it's a bunch of trash, and anybody can really. The Buccaneers or maybe the Falcons can kind of claw their way out of the trash can or, or the Saints. It's not a locked division. It's not like you're you have a, a very formidable, for sure number one uh, to lock that spot up. So I think it's possible. I just I I lean towards probably not. I do think that the Falcons roster wise are on the up and up, and if they can get a good head coach who's not Arthur Smith and they can figure out their quarterback situation, I think that team could be very dangerous. And I see them beating out the Bucks. Yeah, that's a good point. The Falcons have a good chance to make a huge turnaround, as they did last season, and they decided not to do anything with it. Um, so they, they get a quarterback in there and a good head coach, and that Falcons team could be the next hot topic coming out of the division. I do just want to, while we're talking about coaches, let's let's talk about Todd Bowles for a second and his decision to not use their last time out, which would would have put them uh, uh, would have put the uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sorry, uh, the Lions over. Uh, on fourth down to end that game and made them try and kick a field goal with the potential to block it or whatever. And they just decided not to use it and let the time expire. Like, is that, I mean, obviously it seemed like, it seemed like it was just, everybody forgot the situation. The Lions stadium was erupting. Everyone was so excited. Um, and then Jared Goff took a knee too early. And all of a sudden you give the Bucks an extra opportunity to maybe have a miracle play to win this game. And they didn't. Do you think Bucks fans are going to hold that against him? I mean, is he going to have a serious reputation hit down there or are they just happy they made it to where they made it? I think they're probably pissed, but you look at like, and I don't have the probability in front of me, but if you pull that percentage up there, it's not great. Like, and he knows that, that I think they all know that it was just a pipe dream. Should they have done it? Yeah. Because you're, you're trying to play to win and, and it's, it's winner you're done. So I don't know why you wouldn't do that. I think he'll get a little bit of hatred, but I think at the end of the day, I think the the love for what he has done with this team with a Baker Mayfield will certainly outweigh that poor decision making because the I, I think they knew they were beat. I think that it was just a, a fluke circumstance that they weren't really paying attention to or, or fully mentally prepared for to be able to do that. So I, I, I know that's been toted around in the, the media, the NFL media a lot recently understandable but at the end of the day also probably not likely i'm not going to hang my hat on it would have loved to see it but i think it, it wouldn't have amounted to much anyway and he probably just said fuck it you know like it's it's not going to happen this game's over that's how i look at it anyway but i'm i'm also not i have no skin in the tampa <laughs> game whatsoever let's go over to the bills chiefs game oh, finally bro Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have secured a conference championship appearance for the 6th straight year also, not ironically enough, this is sixth time that Patrick Mahomes as a starter has gone to the conference championships. So, 
Congratulations to the Chiefs fans and Patrick Mahomes. Scotty, as the Chiefs fan today, without Allen here, why don't you do Chiefs talk? As you can tell from Slapdog's tone, the Chiefs have solidified themselves as the league villain, and I am here for it, bro. Certainly the Bills think so. Uh, (laughs) I like the Bills as a team. I think Josh Allen is awesome. I love watching him. But, man, does Buffalo hate Kansas City with all of their heart. Patrick Mahomes, there's a clip of him trying to run to to give his, you know, some sort of, I don't know if it was his headband or something to a young fan, and he could barely make it over to the sideline because he was getting pelted with snowballs from Bills Nation, which, by the way, I love that shit. I love it. As a Chiefs fan, we've been, I'm, I'm very privileged because we don't get to see Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs on the road. And so that environment and the players said as much as well was electric and you got to love it. You got to love the competitive atmosphere in the playoffs on the road. It was great. Um, but because the Chiefs are the villain, people tend to not give them credit for stuff. So I took that upon myself and Alan and I had a little side conversation about just a few things that we should mention about this game. Um, you know, the, the, the bills, turn themselves around the season. And we talked about how impressive that was, where they went from being injury-ridden and Josh Allen couldn't do anything to the second half of the season, they looked unstoppable. And they started getting some defensive pieces back and it made all the difference in the world. The Chiefs made a very similar turnaround. Even though the Chiefs won a lot of the games that they looked bad in, um, they did make that turnaround. And I think they deserve some credit for that. So they lost to the Bills on December 10th, which uh, gave them three losses in their last four games against Green Bay, Philly, and Buffalo. They've had the worst offensive production since Mahomes took over and not only do they have one of the worst receiver rooms in the league but those receivers were the laughing stock of the nfl for a large portion of the season and yet mahomes still got to the conference championship where he's been since he started in the league you know people are going to hate kansas city and i get it it's the same thing with tom brady when he was in the league everybody hated the guy because he ruined a lot of people's seasons and even a lot of people's careers um but we're What we're witnessing right now is incredible, and he's got a long way to go before he catches anything near Tom Brady's legacy with all of his Super Bowls, but we're witnessing greatness right now. And I do think just as fans of the game, it's important to take a step back and say, holy shit, this is incredible. Like, this is awesome to watch. I No, I agree. It doesn't make me, like, I'm... I'm getting to the point where I, I don't love the Chiefs, I don't hate the Chiefs, but I'm just kind of, I want something new, I want something different, and I know Chiefs fans don't feel that way, of course, but um, recognizing it for what it is as a, historically, is important, and I, I do get that. Like, I, I know that Patrick Mahomes, I, I think he's the, the greatest quarterback to ever play in the NFL, like, I, I and I don't think that's crazy to say. I think probably a lot of people agree with me, and some people would say Tom Brady, and I I think by the end of Mahomes' career, it's going to be Mahomes. So to be able to watch him and watch that history unfold before our eyes is really cool. It also is getting old. Like, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I, I do want something else. I want to give other people an opportunity so you guys sit here and say that I'm a Chiefs hater. That's okay. I know I'm not a Chiefs hater, but I do want to give other people a chance to succeed here and and – that's I, I I did want the Bills to win, I think, just because I did want Josh Allen to have an opportunity to do it. I said at the beginning of this game that I do think the Bills are going to win this game, but it would not surprise me if the Chiefs win this game because they have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And that's I, I learned my lesson last year to stop betting against the Chiefs because they proved me wrong consistently. And I, I wasn't going to touch this game from a, a money perspective because I, I have already I learned my lesson, right? I do think the Bills still have a better roster. I've thought that, and and I, I think that they do. But much like last year, 
I thought they had a better roster then too, and the Chiefs still find a way to get it done. So I, I'm not surprised. It is cool to watch uh, Patrick Mahomes do his thing, and I have a lot of respect and admiration for both him and Coach Reed. Uh, let's see if they can get it done. Let's see if they can go to the Super Bowl. I, I will talk about that in a moment, but it's going to be interesting. I just want to say something about the game on the Chiefs side that I, I thought was cool. Just <clears throat> I and just as a, a non-biased fan at this point, uh, in the podcast, I thought it was cool that Mahomes he came in and he had a Mahomes s game. Even though there was a lot of noise about, oh, this is his first game on the road. What's he gonna do? Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, Buffalo's defense is, you know, it, it's good. It, it's banged up, but it, it still was a good defense. Um, he came out and had a perfect stat line, and he's a he's a playmaker, and he's not afraid to take a hit to get that extra yard. And we saw him use his legs a lot to get the extra first down or get an extra yard. So hats off to <clears throat> Mahomes. And I love that they're using Pacheco a little more. I think we're starting to see Pacheco really um, emerge in the postseason. And they've had to write him out because of the weather, right? Nobody wants to tackle Pacheco when it's fucking negative 20 out or even 20 degrees outside. Dude runs like a lunatic, and they've taken advantage of his of his contract. Um, they they uh, gave him 15 carries. He almost had 100 rushing yards and a touchdown. Last week, he had over 20 carries against Miami. Similar stat line where he was about 100 rushing yards and a touchdown. So I love what they're doing with the Pacheco, and I think he's going to be one of those frisky, underrated running backs going into next season. Yeah, a hundred percent. And honestly, as a as a Chiefs fan, and I know I know the Chiefs are still in the playoffs, so I don't know if I'm allowed to criticize Andy Reid or not. But as a Chiefs fan, uh, it blows my mind that it took this long for them to figure this out with all the with all the difficulties that they were having at the pass catching or with pass catchers. Why the hell wasn't Pacheco getting twenty carries a game throughout the entire season? And even in this game where they used him a lot, once they got into the red zone, it's like they're like, oh, well. Patrick Mahomes needs to throw the ball to somebody and we're just not going to give Pacheco a chance to run it in from the five yard line. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And speaking of pass catchers being annoying, I just wanted to put this little note on there for Kadarius Tony. Cause I've talked a lot of shit about Kadarius Tony, uh, deservedly so, but, uh, Kadarius Tony, he was inactive for six games this season. During those six games, the chiefs had an 80% win percentage. Uh, the one loss was to the Raiders Yeti. So thanks for that. Um, when he was active, they were eight and five, 62% win percentage with two of those losses being tied directly to him. So Kadarius Tony, I, right now they're saying he's injured. I, I don't give a shit what's going on, but he needs to be barred from stepping on the field by chiefs fans. If necessary, they need to jump down there and hold him down and just keep him off the field. Uh, it's just, it's, it's crazy to me, all the difficulties that they had. And we're just lucky. We're lucky at this point. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about the Chiefs. I've showed a lot of frustration with them this season and even last season, but the pass catching this year is just ridiculous. So we are nothing but fortunate. We do not deserve to be in this position that we're in right now. So like I said, win or lose, I'm I'm just happy. I'm happy that we're here, I guess. And the only real criticism I have about the Chiefs from this game is the play call. Um, I think it was at the beginning of the fourth quarter, maybe late third quarter. Um, they were on the goal line. And they had McCole Hardman do a little sweep, and he fumbled the, the ball out of the end zone. Uh, that score could have put uh, the Chiefs up, I think, 10 at that point, maybe. Um, but what I don't understand is why Isaiah Pacheco didn't get the rock there when he's mm -hmm. averaging damn near five yards a carry or six yards a carry at that point. Like, 
that that's my only criticism of the game. Obviously, they won, so it's not that big of a deal. But if if they would have lost that game, that's something we look back at. Like, why? You know. So <laughs> and, and um, Hardman having, I think he had three touches for negative one yards and two fumbles. So it's yep, a tough stat line for a, him. That's a great yeah. <laughs> good day at the office for him. Yeah. Um. So I, I want to flip it to the Bills real quick. I had my criticism about Andy Reid. Um. I think we need to have a talk about Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. Um. I. In my opinion, they are a nightmare duo for all the wrong reasons. Um, Scotty, you brought up uh, Dan Campbell's decision making. And while I didn't look into Sean McDermott's past a whole lot, um, I I just wanted to bring up Sean McDermott's decision in this past game to run a fake punt on uh, fourth and five. It was about midfield um, and they ran a fake to DeMar Hamlin. And that fake was not even close. It wasn't even close to being like, I I don't even think they got a yard on it. So I'm just sitting here wondering why, because you give the ball to Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs at midfield and you're wasting precious time against a team that you can't afford to do that with. So I I just don't understand this play calling by, or this risk by Sean McDermott. And I know it's not the first time that he's done this in, in the season at all. Well, the one message Sean McDermott needs to hear, and it's it's tough to hear, but um, you know sometimes the plane hits the Pentagon, and sometimes it lands in an empty field. It's just that's just the way it is. I'm sorry, buddy. Eesh. Yikes! Um, and I want to go back to Josh Allen for a second because on that last drive, he forced multiple passes to the end zone. Um, when they only needed nine yards for a first down, they were in the red zone, um, and he was throwing it to the, uh, to the end zone on, uh, three tries and he missed two underneath routes that could have easily been first downs, could have kept the drive going and they could have got a touchdown, but instead they had to settle for a field goal attempt, which ended up being missed. And I, I don't want to put this blame or the loss on Tyler Bass, but Josh Allen put them in that position. And we've seen this with Josh Allen before. When it comes to clutch or crunch time, he folds and he can't handle the pressure. At least his record shows that he can't handle the pressure in big time situations. And so um, I think he just tries way too hard to play Superman and it comes to bite him in the ass. Um, but now that the season's over for Buffalo, do do you guys think that Buffalo's window to win a Super Bowl is potentially closed? No, I don't. I think as long as Josh Allen is a quarterback, I think that there's always a chance, right? I I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I agree that I, I think that he does try and play Superman a little too often, but I think that that's you know maybe it's rushed and he feels rushed. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's it's probably both. Um, but I, I respect Josh Allen a lot as an athlete and a quarterback. Something I found interesting that I was, I was, and I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but, uh, Shakir's actually been doing a lot better than Stefan Diggs throughout the second or the end of the season. And in the postseason. Stefan Diggs really has taken a couple steps back. Um, we even had a discussion about this in our, our own chat about, um, Stefan Diggs and how do we view him from fantasy football in the, like in the future, He's kind of on the decline. So, and I don't know if that's disagreements between him and Josh Allen. I don't know if that's play calling. I don't know if it's Stefan Diggs' talent level, but it's not working, right? And so 
I think Josh Allen is a great talent. I think Stefan Diggs was good and maybe could be elsewhere, but I think his time with the Bills is probably coming to somewhat of a close as a top-tier elite wide receiver. I think the Bills just need to get Josh Allen that top-tier wide receiver. And and maybe it is Sean McDermott. Maybe a departure, you know, in the future between Josh Allen and Sean McDermott could help Josh Allen go win a Super Bowl because the play calling probably does play a part in that and the coaching style and the ability that is Josh Allen is too good not to constantly be in competition. And I think Josh Allen will always be in that competition. You just got to get him some people, I think, to help him because Stefan Diggs wasn't getting it done. And Shakir is, uh, I don't want to say nobody because that's not fair to say, but he's not a, a touted big name guy that's going to help Josh Allen get the victories. So that's my look at it. I, I do think that I agree, Eddie. I think the decision making by Josh Allen needs some improvement there. And I think that goes hand in hand with maybe him as well as the coaching staff. So. Yeah, and, and Stefan Diggs, obviously he's talented. We've seen what he can do, but this has always been the criticisms uh, criticism of the Buffalo offense, especially before they established the running game, which James Cook, Hunter, to your credit, has been incredible, and you called that a long time ago. But um, before that, who were their pass catchers? They had to rely on the unreliable hands of Gabe Davis to draw coverage from Stefan Diggs. And that's always been the case with Buffalo over the last few years. They don't have those outside weapons. So Diggs is getting all of the attention. And maybe just as he's getting a little bit older, he's not able to overcome that as consistently. I think Shakir is developing in the right direction, but there's no doubt in my mind, this Buffalo team for a few years now has needed to add additional weapons, even if they're not superstars, but people who can garner that attention from the defense and let Stefan Diggs get free, which we just haven't seen that much of this season. And you know, what's kind of sad to say is I think, this offense really missed Gabe Davis the past two weeks. And I know they didn't really need him against the Steelers, but I think it was evident against Kansas city because this Buffalo bills offense, they didn't have a single play over 20 yards in this game. And they ran over 60 plays, which is incredible because this offense used to be explosive. This offense used to be, we're going to take, you know, we're going to take full advantage and just score at will. We didn't see, see a single play over 20 yards and the play that we all all are going to have stuck in our head is Stefan Diggs dropping that bomb late in the fourth quarter. Um, and that was really the f- one few times where they try to really push a ball down the field. So I think I, I agree with you hundred percent slaps. I think Diggs is probably gone. Um, he's a huge salary hit on the Buffalo bills and they really need to look at just getting younger um, and maybe potentially adding somebody like T Higgins or Michael Pittman in the off season. I, I I would love that for the Bills and for fantasy football. Uh, I, I have a question here. Did the Bills show the Ravens a blueprint to beat the Chiefs? Because the Ravens and the Chiefs are playing. Um, I We can maybe pivot over into the conference championship conversation here, and we'll start with this. The Bills had 124 rushing yards in the first half alone, with Josh Allen having 51 of those 124 rushing yards. So... He carried a lot of the weight in the rushing category, and then they the Bills finished the game with 182. So the first half was electric as far as rushing is concerned. And then on average, the Chiefs have given up 113 rushing yards a game this season, which puts the Chiefs at the bottom half of NFL teams for stopping the run. We talked about Lamar Jackson earlier. We talked about his ability to throw the ball, but uh, he's a dual-threat quarterback. I know we don't want to say he's a running back, but, Yeti, I'm going to tell you what, he still runs the ball very damn well, and that's what makes Lamar Jackson so incredibly difficult to cover from a defensive perspective. 
Did the Bills show the Ravens, hey, this is what you need to do to succeed here. You need to establish an effective run game. And and because you also have a dual threat quarterback that is able to run the ball very effectively and probably better than the Bills this season. Is that I mean, is that the blueprint to beat these Chiefs and go to the Super Bowl here? Um, if you're asking me, the answer is absolutely yes. The, the Chiefs defense in the first half was bullied in every every facet of the game by the Bills. I mean, on, on the defensive front, they were getting blown up on the ball, so much so that it was only in their heads that they need to stop them, run up the middle. And then every single swing pass, I think Josh Allen might have broke, I saw some stat, he broke the NFL record for the number of completions behind the line of scrimmage in one half of football because he's throwing these swing passes out and there's not a defender within 10 yards because they're so concerned about stopping the run, which they also failed to do. And then the addition of Josh Allen's legs they just torched the Kansas City Chiefs. In fact, I was surprised at the end of the game um, that uh, uh, James Cook only finished with 61 rushing yards because when you watch the first half of that game, you're like, this guy's going to rush for 200 yards because he's not getting touched until he's five yards downfield. So the Ravens are certainly capable of taking control of that. The Chiefs just have to rely on Spags to be able to put a defense together that that is capable of stopping that because if they're not – Lamar Jackson's going to have 100 yards rushing and 250 yards throwing the ball, and that's no way to win the game, obviously. You agree with that, Eddie? Yeah, and I, I think yeah, I think that was the case even earlier in the season when the Chiefs lost to the Eagles, they lost to the Packers and the Raiders. Like, if you look at those three games specifically, each team that won, they ran the ball effectively, and the Chiefs just didn't have an answer for the run game uh, or for to stop the run in the, in those games. Um, I think what worked for Buffalo was obviously they had Josh Allen use his legs and James cook was getting going, but they just got away from it late. And that really, I think that ruined any of their chances. And I don't know if it was just a timing thing. They were worried about the, how much time was available or what, but they just completely avoided the, the run um, and forced Josh Allen to throw the ball so with that being said, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, they can't get behind on the chains on first and second down. They need to be able to get um, four yards, four or five yards on first down so the, the playbook is open. Um, and, and we've seen how explosive this Ravens offense can be with Lamar Jackson's legs, but also those guys like Zay Flowers and Isaiah Likely and Mark Andrews, who's going to be back. They're going to tear up the middle of the field if the Chiefs can't cover it. Um, so I, I think the Eagle or the Ravens, sorry, they have to be ahead of the head of the chains and they have to hold the time of possession, which they did very well against the Texans. In fact, they had 15, 15 more minutes of time of possession than the Jesus. Texans did last week, which is a whole quarter. <laughs> So just play takeaway with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's they, we saw the bills do that last year too. And that was kind of what they wanted to do is they didn't want to give Patrick Mahomes an opportunity to play football. And that's, I think how uh, a lot of teams have tried to do that. And we've seen it come down to the wire and the chiefs still find a way to get it done, which goes to show the time doesn't matter as well as the salary cap. So the Chiefs-Ravens are uh, the uh, game this weekend for the AFC, um, and the Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm looking here. Sorry, I was reading as well as trying to talk, and I'm not doing it very well right now. The Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. I have the Ravens. Yeti, who do you have in this game? Um, I have the Chiefs here, um, and I have the Chiefs just because I think – the Chiefs defense is the the factor in this game. 
Um, the Chiefs defense, they have seen elite playmakers like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, and they have shut those guys down for twice the season. And so I don't really think the receiving core of Baltimore is elite. Um, I love Lamar Jackson. I had the Ravens to, to win uh, the AFC at the beginning of the season, but I, I think the Chiefs defense is really going to be the factor for me in this game. Um, even if they want to play takeaway with Patrick Mahomes, I think Patrick Mahomes is just, he's super efficient with the ball, with the drives that he does get. And I think this is going to be a low scoring game, which tends to favor Chiefs um, in those kind of games. So give me Andy Reid and the Chiefs. You sound a lot more confident than I am. I, I was not confident at all going into the Bills because obviously the game the game plan was clear. They were going to run the ball. That was the Chiefs' defensive weakest point, and they were going to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes, and they started out the game doing it very effectively. Um, at one point in the game, I was sitting next to my brother, and I said, hey, at this rate, we're going to have three more possessions in the second half because the the every drive was lasting six minutes and seven minutes and eight minutes, and it's just like, fuck. And I think Baltimore can do that more effectively than the Bills can. Um, I'm still going to take the Chiefs because I'm a fan. Um, but ultimately, if you were to put a gun to my head, I am very, very nervous about this game. And I think Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens have the X factor for this season. I saw. I already said it. I have the Ravens winning this one. I once again, I'm I'm not going to be surprised if the Chiefs win. I said it last week with the Bills, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again. But I do think the Ravens pull through. Wouldn't surprise me either way. I, I think the other one is a little bit more, I feel much more comfortable in between the 49ers and the Lions. 49ers are six and a half point favorites. I have the 49ers. Getty? I think yeah, we all hey, look we at have, this. We all do. Yeah, like, we, I don't, I don't, yeah, we all have the 49ers winning this game. Six and a half point favorites. It, it's shaping up. You know, I've I said this before we even got to the playoffs. I think it's going to be Ravens 49ers Super Bowl. Still a chance. We'll see what happens here. And uh, I, I do think I've said this before. I, I love the Lions. I think that they are a good team, but I don't think they're there yet. And I think that the 49ers and uh, Kyle Shanahan are really going to scheme it up and get it taken care of. And they're going to go to Super Bowl. I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to add to that. I just think that we've we've seen what this high octane 49ers offense can do. They took a step back last week after a week off and maybe were a little bit rusty. Obviously, Debo is going to be a big question mark there, but the strength of this Lions defense is their rush defense, and they've never played a running back like Christian McCaffrey. So I think he's going to blow that wide open, and I think the whole playbook's going to be open here. If the 49ers show up to play, they should win this game by two touchdowns. Um, I will say, though, after all of our conversation about the Lions, if it ends up being Ravens in Detroit in the Super Bowl, I will be a Lions fan that day just because the story is too good to pass up. So if uh, the if the uh, Lions end up winning and they're not playing the Chiefs, I'll be all in for that one game. I really am praying it's Lions-Chiefs, and I'm praying the Lions beat the shit out of the Chiefs. That that would be the best Super Bowl for me. So that's what I'm and praying honestly, for, I, but my wallet's I, I praying think... that the 49ers go. Yeah, I think this game is going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think. And I, I say that because we saw the Packers run very effectively um, or efficiently last week with Aaron Jones. And that's where the Lions are the strongest when they run the ball with Demon and Jameer Gibbs, which I think they're going to have to do a lot of. Um, but if 
I, I think the Packers kind of showed what you have to do. You have to protect your quarterback, which is obviously easier said than done. But if you give your quarterback time, this secondary can be picked apart left and right because they, they, they're down guys in the middle of the field. And when you have guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, he's going to feast over the middle. You have JMO who can feast deep um, across the field. So if they can hold J- Jared Goff upright, not to give up any sacks like the Packers did last week and get the ball moving on the ground i like their chances man i I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means i I could see it being a a field goal to win the game honestly either way i'm excited for it it's going to be these are going to be good games all around i I, obviously we're we're, we're here at the end um of of the nfl season and we're about to see the super bowl so hopefully we would have some good competition here and I, i think we're between these four teams i think it's going to be a really fun weekend so i'm looking forward to it amen brother all right, let's get the hell out of here. Appreciate all you brainiacs and continue to watch, listen, and converse with us over on Twitter or Instagram, TikTok, wherever you are. appreciate it. And uh, keep it up. We do, like I said, appreciate it, but I, uh, I enjoy the banter. I enjoy the conversation, and we'll do it again next Monday. Let's get the hell out of here, boys. We are out. If you enjoyed this episode... Make sure you tune into our new releases every week on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check out leatherbrains.com for all of your fantasy football needs. And remember, Brainiacs, a championship should be more than a fantasy.